0: Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi,
1: welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Sabel Rocklin, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym or counting a single macro. So today's today's uh uh we're, today we're going to talk about how to reclaim today's topic. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Today's topic. We're going to talk about how to reclaim your self-worth, escape the mental prison of binge eating and feel good again and feel in control and feel empowered. So have you ever binged after a tough experience? chances are yes, you are not alone. And maybe you feel trapped in a never-ending cycle of dieting and binging, the dreaded diet binge cycle. It's the worst, isn't it? Every time you turn to food, you wonder why it seems like you're just incapable of resisting that urge to eat. You feel guilty, you feel ashamed, and you feel embarrassed. Life with binge eating disorder can feel like being trapped in a prison. Every episode of binging contributes to that cycle of guilt, shame, and then isolation that leads to feeling bad about yourself. And then, of course, even more binging. It's a horrible, horrible cycle. You feel worse about yourself, and it is like being surrounded by massive walls of self-doubt and self-criticism. You desperately want to break free from this prison, but you don't know how. Well, I'm here to help you break free. I'm going to show you how. First, let's look about look at if is, is it really about willpower or control? Is binge eating really about control? Is it really that you need more willpower? Let's take a moment and define binge eating, which refers to eating a lot of food in a short amount of time and feeling like it's impossible to stop. And when that happens consistently, it may be binge eating disorder, which is the most common and prevalent type of eating disorder. And yet so many people don't know they actually have a diagnosable and treatable condition. They mistakenly believe they lack willpower and control, or they think they're addicted to food. Everyone has a different reason for binge eating, but usually it is a way of coping, coping in some way, with difficult emotions and thoughts. And often, just to make it trickier, often those emotions are out of our awareness. They're unconscious. They're hidden from us, but they're not out of operation. They have so much to do with why you're binging, even though you may not even realize it. Because eating can make us feel better in the moment, and temporarily help us forget about our problems or just turn our minds off. Lots of people call it the binge zone, when you just go numb, you don't think about anything, you don't feel anything, you're just in this zone. It's a numb zone. Binge eating numbs those difficult emotions and memories and thoughts and provides that temporary sense of comfort and relief. So it's a way of distracting from these feelings, but that relief only lasts a little while, and that, then it leaves us with even more guilt and shame. So how do we unlock uh, the connection between self-worth and, and binge eating, and where does trauma come in? Research has found that many people who struggle with binge eating also have a history of trauma. In fact, studies show that almost 50% of people struggling with binge eating disorder Report a history of traumatic experiences, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse or neglect or other adverse childhood experiences. In my experience in treating people with binge eating disorder and eating disorders for 22 years, I would say that number is closer to 95%, not 50%. And of course, not everyone who struggles with binge eating has a history of trauma and not everyone who has an experience of trauma will start binging. Binge eating disorder is very complex. It's very complicated and it has multiple contributing factors. Each person's experience is unique. That's why people have asked me in the past, well, what's it like to treat eating disorders? what's that like to treat eating disorders? And what I say is I don't treat eating disorders. I treat people. And people develop eating disorders for reasons that are as unique as they are. But trauma, trauma always causes a range of emotional responses, including feelings of shame, guilt, and low self-esteem. And these emotions are so overwhelming and difficult to process you end up relying on emotional eating as a way of coping and this is true for ba- past traumas and present traumas and let's just talk about trauma let's decode the different types of trauma because the idea of trauma is often very much misunderstood many people do not think that they've had a traumatic childhood they they think oh well other people had it so much worse Again, it's important that everyone's experiences and perceptions are valid and unique, and it is not productive or helpful to compare traumas or minimize our own experience. But let me tell you about Samantha, not her real name. Uh, She often found herself binge eating when she was feeling stressed or anxious. And she brushed off the idea that this was the result of any kind of trauma because she said, nothing traumatic had ever happened to her. She said, I had a normal childhood. Nothing bad ever happened to me. I, I had no trauma. So Samantha grew up in a household where her emotional needs were not met. Her parents were very preoccupied with work, very hardworking, and they had their own problems and issues. And they, they didn't really provide a lot of emotional support and validation, which is what Samantha needed as a kid. And she did not know that the emotional neglect that she experienced was actually considered a form of trauma that had contributed to her binge eating behavior. And like Samantha, lots of people think trauma is, oh, it's some intense, severe, horrible, awful, terrible, big event that that threatens your life. You know, Samantha thought, no, a trauma is like a war or natural disaster or like being raped or, or or tortured or domestic violence or, or someone dies suddenly or a terrible car crash or just like some horrible, horrible event. And that is a form of trauma. That is called big T trauma, which is also called uh, capital trauma or complex trauma. So big T trauma, those are significant and severe threats to someone's physical, or psychological well-being. And of course, these experiences have lasting effects on people's emotional health and functioning, and they cause condition such as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, so many other disorders, binge eating disorder being one of them. A second type of trauma is called little t trauma, and that refers to experiences that may not be as severe or life-threatening as big T trauma, but they are still traumatic and traumatizing. So examples of little t trauma are bullying, emotional neglect, uh, chaos, financial instability, divorce, breakup, job loss, chronic illness, verbal abuse. These all negatively impact our sense of safety, security, and self-esteem. And both these kinds of trauma are, are they have a huge effect on, on us. I, I like to make the comparison between like a physical wound. So a big T trauma is like a big butcher knife to your body, boom, and it causes all kinds of awful, you know, traumatic effect on your physical well being. And it really hurts and it's really bad and it's just awful. Little T trauma is like a thousand small cuts one cut okay not so bad two cuts not so bad a thousand small cuts those are as painful as one butcher knife blow to your body so just make the analogy between physical wounds and emotional wounds both are painful they're different but they're each so painful so for samantha the emotional neglect Her parents weren't mean to her. They just didn't really pay attention to her or explore what was going on with her. And when she was struggling, they just tell her all the reasons that she should be happy and she had no reason to be upset and she should be glad for all the material things she had. And, you know, um, comparing herself to others, she had no reason to feel this way and all of that kind of stuff, which is so dismissive, basically emotionally neglected her and that affected her emotional health, and her behavior with food. So since she couldn't depend on her parents for consistent and available emotional support, she turned to food as a substitute for comfort. She turned to food as a way of filling the lonely void within. She never learned new ways of coping. How could she? And so binging became her primary way of dealing with uncomfortable emotions and traumas can manifest in many different ways. Not all traumas are visible and obvious. Emotional neglect and verbal abuse may not be as as visible as the impact of physical abuse or neglect, but it still has such a significant impact on our our mental and emotional well-being. And one way that trauma leaves its mark is with self-esteem. We can't break out of the prison of binge eating until we learn to feel better about ourselves. And you can't feel better about yourself until you really recognize how you came to feel bad about yourself. That's why telling yourself a thousand million times how you're likable and lovable, if you don't feel likable and lovable, you're just going to talk a lot and nothing will happen. But if you really look at, well, why do I feel like I'm not likable, why do I feel like I'm not lovable and challenge that, then you actually change that idea in your mind. So trauma shakes the foundation of our identity. It leaves us feeling disconnected from ourselves and from others. It makes us feel unsure of ourselves. We question our worth, our value, our place in the world. It leaves us feeling helpless and hopeless. And it can also impact the way we see other people. It can create a distorted view of the world, leading to feelings of of chronic mistrust, fear, anxiety. It can impact our ability to create healthy attachments, healthy relationships with other people, leading to feelings of isolation and loneliness, which, of course, food represents relationships. When we talked about comfort food, we're really talking about a wish to be comforted by another person. If we can't trust people because they are uh, unavailable or unreliable or unpredictable, well, food, which represents people, is available, it is reliable, and it is predictable. So you can see how there is an absolute link between the traumatic experiences that we have and our relationship with ourselves and with others and the world. And it can have an effect on our sense of safety and security. Uncertainty and instability can make it difficult to trust other people and build meaningful relationships. We might feel like we're constantly on guard, hyper-vigilant. We try to anticipate or avoid potential threats in the world. Like, oh, yeah, this person seems nice, but hmm... (laughs) When are they going to show me their true selves or, oh, this feels good, but when's the the rug going to get pulled out from underneath me? You never feel safe. It's hard to be in the world. It's painful. It's overwhelming to feel as if you live in an unpredictable and unreliable world. Food is a constant in a world that feels chaotic and uncertain. Food can be counted on to be there day in and day out. Unlike people, food doesn't change. It doesn't let us down. It doesn't change its mind about us. It's not there one day and uh, gone the next. And it and it's the same. You know, you've never had vanilla ice cream that tasted like broccoli. It just doesn't work that way. Let me give you an example of Steve. He's a successful businessman and he had a decades-long battle with binge eating, and he thought he'd be struggling forever. And despite his successful career, his personal life had been anything but stable. So as a child, Steve had a very unpredictable home life, very chaotic. His father was Uh, sometimes there, sometimes not, never knew when he was going to be there, when he would suddenly just take off and leave. And this inconsistent presence caused a constant sense of uncertainty for Steve. And meanwhile, his mother was overwhelmed and she was depressed and she dismissed his emotions and his needs and was kind of like, you know, hey, look at what I'm going through, kid. Um, And it left him feeling insecure, and yearning for consistency as an adult. And this longing for consistency and reliability, it seeped into his relationships. It caused anxiety and hypersensitivity to any slight changes or perceived changes in his partner's behavior. He would overanalyze what they said, what they did. And ultimately, all of this hypervigilance, worried that someone was going to be Inconsistent or let him down or disappear, or, you know, change in some way ultimately drove away people. And so his past experiences made it really difficult for him to trust that someone could genuinely be there for him. What was the one constant in Steve's life? You guessed it a bowl of pasta, a sleeve of cookies that was always there, always the same. It never disappointed, it never changed, and it never abandoned him as people had done. Food was there for him, no matter what. So we really looked at this, we unraveled the the, the connection between Steve's traumatic childhood, his turbulent relationships in the present, and his reliance on food. And he discovered that his binges were not actually a a lack of self-control as he had thought, but they represented his yearning for stability in an erratic world. The world was crazy and inconsistent and unreliable and potentially scary, but food was reliable. And so he relied on food to be reliable for his sense of some kind of peace. Again, people can be unavailable, unreliable, and unpredictable. Unlike people, food is available, reliable, and predictable. And that is a huge part of why Steve felt safer with food than with people. Now, what happened? Did he get stuck there? Yes, for decades. But then he came to see me. And guess what? He learned why he was actually eating. He thought it was a, an addiction problem and a control problem. But when he really realized, oh, this is his way of feeling safe, This is his way of feeling a sense of consistency. He then could focus on the real problem and learn to rebuild trust with other people. And he cultivated also new ways of responding to himself. And he gradually reduced his reliance on eating as a main source of consistency and reliability. So as Steve's experience shows us, For people who have experienced the chaos of trauma, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, the predictability of food can be a source of comfort and stability. It provides a sense of reliability in a world that can feel unreliable. Turning to food gives a sense of safety and comfort that we may not find in our relationships. So for those who have experienced trauma and they struggle with food and they also then struggle with shame and guilt and self-blame around what, what they're eating, um, they, uh, it's really important to look at, well, what is the source of this? What is eating doing for you? And by the way, for many people who have experienced trauma, they blame themselves for what they experience. They either blame themselves or feel ashamed of not being able to prevent it. Something along the lines of, I should have known better. I should have been able to stop this. I should have been able to do something different. If only I had done X, Y, or Z, this wouldn't have happened. And this leads to a negative self-image and a sense of worthlessness and a sense of responsibility, which is not theirs to take responsibility for. You're not responsible for what happened to you as a kid or even later, right? People who hurt you are responsible for hurting you. You didn't make them treat you a certain way. They chose it. It's really important also to remember that it is possible to heal with support, with treatment, we can learn to face our traumatic experiences of the past and heal them so we have a more resilient and positive outlook in the present. And when that happens, we don't need food to cope. All right, so as you can see, there's a direct link between trauma and binge eating. It Binging temporarily protects us from tough emotions. It is a frenemy. It is a friend because it helps us distract from from pain or difficult feelings. It provides comfort and soothing. It's a great friend in that way. And it temporarily helps us escape anything that's uncomfortable. But it is also an enemy. It is an enemy because it undermines our self-esteem, it negatively impacts our emotional and physical health, and it really makes us feel bad about ourselves and leads to shame and all kinds of bad bad ideas and negative self-perceptions. So if you look at it this way, if it's a frenemy, binging is not the problem. It actually solves the real underlying problem, which is usually some difficulty in identifying, expressing, and processing difficult emotions. And by tackling the root causes of binge eating, we can break free from these self destructive behaviors and achieve greater emotional well being. Okay? That's how we break out of the prison of binge eating. So, for Samantha, going back to Samantha, binge eating was her source of comfort. It helped her manage her feelings of emptiness or boredom. For Steve, it was a way of having a sense of consistency and safety. Food was the only thing in his life that was consistent, the same, reliable, available, predictable. For other people, food can be a way to distract themselves from uncomfortable thoughts and emotions, pass the time, give themselves me time. A lot of busy moms I talk to, really the only time they have for themselves is when they sneak into the kitchen and and eat something in the pantry or something like that or or take a moment to go through the the drive through you know it's their only me time it gives them a respite from caretaking and caregiving others focusing on eating can also be a way of displacing powerlessness in some areas of your life onto food if you're feeling powerless over a situation at work, for example, you may focus on having control over food instead, right? Or feeling powerless over food instead. So instead of, oh, I feel so powerless over this situation that I can't actually do anything about, it's, I'm gonna feel powerless over the situation that I could ostensibly do something about. So even though binge eating can make us feel better in the moment, it also makes us feel really bad afterwards. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. We feel disgusted with ourselves. And over time, binge eating can lead to physical health problems, right? Weight gain, diabetes, heart disease, although not everyone who binges gains weight. I want to make that very clear. Not everyone who struggles with binge eating is overweight, and not everyone who is overweight Struggles with binge eating. You cannot tell what is going on with someone's relationship with food by looking at that person. Very important point I want to make. Um, And it also causes depression, anxiety, all the, oh, it's so destructive. That is why addressing the underlying reasons for binging is essential. So, first, let's look at, because we're breaking out of the prison now, let's look at what's eating at you. If you find yourself turning to food out of boredom, or you think it's boredom, or you're obsessing over every calorie, carb, or fat gram, recognize there is likely an underlying reason for this behavior or this focus on food. And it can be difficult to, to pinpoint exactly what's triggering your behavior because it really seems like you're being triggered by food, but no there is always something deeper going on internally. And this, by the way, is when I'm talking about binge eating disorder, when you're eating to change the way you emotionally feel. Other reasons for binging may be about deprivation. For example, if you have been on a diet or you tell yourself you can't eat certain foods and you end up binging on those foods that is often because you are, have been experiencing deprivation. If someone tells you you cannot have a certain food, what do you want? You want that food. So after a certain amount of time, your willpower is just going to give up. You're going you're to give in, and you're going to have the thing that you that you haven't allowed yourself to have. So that's another reason for binging, which is different from binge eating disorder binge eating disorder has to do with changing the way you emotionally feel. And it's tricky because we turn to food so fast, we don't even know we're triggered by something internal or emotional. But when you explore what's going on, when you really get curious and not critical, you can get a greater understanding of your relationship with food and then you can take the necessary steps towards improving that relationship and improving your overall well-being. Now, one way to do this, because I want to give you some practical steps, one way to do this is to keep a food mood journal. It's a powerful tool for, for gaining insight into your eating habits and also um, uh, identifying patterns, because you want you don't want to just like, keep a log. You want to look at, okay, what are the patterns here? What was I feeling before I ate that? Or are there certain foods I'm eating at certain times? So here's what you do. You jot down what you ate, when, what time of the day it was or night, and where. Where were you? Were you at home? Were you in your car? Were you at the office? Where were you? And then, take a deeper dive into your emotional state by recording your thoughts and feelings. And this really helps you connect the dots between your eating habits and whatever food you're eating. So it connects what's going on with you emotionally with why you're know why you choosing to eat or binge something. So tr- this is what you track. So when, so it's when, what, where, what, how. When you ate, record the day of the day or the time of day or night. What you ate? What type of food did you choose? You don't have to put the amount. That can be really shaming. Just, oh, am I almost out of time? You know, I think I'm out of time. Um, You know, I'm going to pick, we're going to take a short break and then I am going to pick back up so that uh, I don't leave you hanging. (laughs) And I'm going to go over what you put in this journal so that you can create a little uh, journal for yourself and you can figure out what's eating at you. So I'll be back after the break. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
0: Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging, ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating uncovers hidden triggers and gives you effective strategies for lasting change with practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation. The Bench Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back. We've been talking about how to escape the mental prison of binge eating. We looked at whether it is willpower or control that is in, in in that underlies binge eating. No, it is neither. And we looked at the influence of trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma, navigating the legacy of trauma and how trauma leads to binge eating. These are the ways in which you kind of get got into that binge eating prison in the first place. And now we're talking about how to break free, how to break out. And um, my first suggestion is you really have to figure out, well, what is it that is leading to you making that decision to eat? It feels like you are triggered by food. It is not true. Something, some situation, some emotion, something is making you distract yourself from whatever is troubling you, and then focusing on food, whether you're eating it or thinking about it. So I'm suggesting that you create a journal for yourself. And this is what you put in the journal, because you, you want to start logging, like, well, w- w- looking for patterns, What what is going on within you. And the way to do that is to look at when you ate, record the time of day or night, what you ate, Jot down the type of food that you chose. You don't have to put the amount, just the type, like vanilla ice cream, pizza, crackers, whatever it is, just what type of food was it? Where you ate? Were you at home, a restaurant, someone's house, at a drive-thru? Were you in your car? What? Where were you? And what were you thinking? Be... Be self-aware about what your thoughts were. What was on your mind? If you weren't thinking about food, what would you be thinking about? What was going on right before you decided to get something to eat? And how are you feeling? Um, mad, sad, glad, afraid. Those are the emotions that most emotions can be distilled into. Worried, anxious, hopeful, irritated. Like Irritated is a, a form of, of mad, of anger. Um, Also, were you physically tired? What were you feeling emotionally and physically? And keep track of that by tracking what you eat, when you eat it, and how you're feeling before and after, and what your thoughts were. You can start seeing connections between your emotions and certain situations, which of course cause emotions, and your eating habits and your binge behavior. And this helps you recognize when you're using food as a coping mechanism to deal with difficult emotions or stressful situations or to avoid thinking difficult thoughts. Often our minds go to to food so that we don't think about other things that bother us. And by the way, speaking of journals, I am super excited to announce that the Binge Cure Journal a Guide to Liberating Yourself from Emotional Eating, Taking Control of Your Life and Feeling Good in Your Body is now available on Amazon. Uh, right now, the Kindle version is is uh, available at a big discount because I want to get it in as many people's hands as possible. And in a few days, the paperback version will be available. And then um, uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be at the, the, normal, the normal price. So uh, get it, get it while you can. It is just an extraordinary deep dive into you know, binge eating and it will help you understand yourself on such a deep level and also work through, I give you strategies to work through exactly where you are stuck so that you can discover new ways of healing and new ways of coping. Okay, the next thing you want to do to break out of binge Prison, uh, binge eating prison, the mental prison of binge eating is to convert your inner critic into a friend. Now, have you ever reached for food when you feel overwhelmed by a loud inner voice? Maybe that voice tells you you're not good enough. You don't deserve happiness. You're a loser. You're never going to have what you want. You're a failure. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's the worst. That voice is nasty. Those negative thoughts can affect your emotional health and self-esteem, and they can prevent you from living your best life. But what if there was a way to silence that mean voice and liberate yourself from its grasp? One way to identify your inner critic is to listen to when do you talk to yourself in the second person voice. For example, if you say things to yourself, like you're not good enough, instead of I'm not good enough, so you're not good enough, is you're talking to yourself in second person pronoun, who's talking, right? By, by catching your negative self-talk and catching the times that you talk to yourself in a second person voice or a third person voice, and sometimes it's a mix, like for example, if I were to say my, to myself, "Nina, you really need to drink more water." Now, I'm calling myself Nina, third person, and then I'm saying, "You, you need to drink more water." I'm not saying, "I need to drink more water." And, and it it actually feels different when you switch that that mean second person voice into a first person voice. So by recognizing the times that you're talking to yourself as you, you can start recognizing how mean you are to yourself and catching it. And and then you can challenge it. First you want to catch it, then you want to challenge it. And by the way, even if you talk to yourself in a kind way, even if you say to yourself, "Oh, you can do this. You've got this. I believe in you." It's still experience distant it's still something out there talking to you as opposed to you saying to yourself, I believe in myself. I believe in myself. I can do this. I know I'm going to do this. I feel good about me. Right? It's very different to say you can do this to yourself than I can do this. So whether you're talking to yourself in a critical way or you're talking to yourself in an encouraging way, but you're using that second person voice, I strongly encourage you to just you go to that I place, that first person voice. Speak to yourself from a place of I. It makes all the difference. So that's one thing you can do to challenge that inner critic. The other is to imagine your mind as a courtroom. Your inner critic slash prosecutor is on one side And your internal defense attorney is on the other. Now, all too often, that defense attorney is not even seated in the courtroom. So let's put it in the courtroom. So when the prosecutor, when the critic accuses you of, say, not being good enough, you can object from the position of the defense attorney and demand evidence for these accusations. Remember, feelings are not facts. Feelings are not admissible as evidence in any courtroom. So feelings don't count. So challenge the notion that there is something wrong with you or that you should, for example, oh, here's one I hear a lot. I should be in a different place in my life. I should be married by now. I should be making X amount of money by now. I should have more kids by now. I should have risen to this place in my career by now. I should have bought a house by now. There are all these shoulds. Give yourself an an opportunity to cultivate that defense attorney and demand that it be heard. Demand that the prosecutor, the critic, define what good enough means. What is good enough? How, How do you know you're not good enough? What is the standard that you are measuring yourself against? Is it your weight? What other criteria form the basis of this accusation that you're not good enough? By presenting alternate evidence to this court, the courtroom of your mind, such as the fact that, oh, maybe you're proactive, you're hopeful, you're willing to consider new perspectives, you're a nice person, you're kind, you're thoughtful, you can challenge the negative beliefs that your inner critic has instilled in you. Because Often, all the inner critic does is look at things like, well, you weigh this and you ate that, you're not good enough. You're terrible. But when's the last time you said, yeah, you know what? I found out that my friend, she ate an entire pizza by herself. So she's no longer my friend because she's not good enough, clearly. like We don't hold anybody else up to these standards. It's ludicrous. So why do we hold ourselves up to these standards? Where do these standards come from? And also stop punishing yourself for crimes you have not committed. You are not bad because you ate ice cream, pizza, cookies, or whatever is in your bad foods list. And you are not good because you ate salad or vegetables. Let's change that conversation. Liberating yourself from your inner critic can help you feel better about yourself. It reduces the urge to use food for comfort or distraction because if you're not constantly berating yourself and criticizing yourself and judging yourself, and maybe you're even showing up in a, in a supportive way, you don't need food to escape your own mean voice. By silencing your inner critic and cultivating a more compassionate and supportive inner dialogue, you can create a more positive and fulfilling life for yourself and that is why it is so important to look at your relationship with yourself not your relationship with food that is a solution to the problem the problem is your relationship with yourself and let's since today we're talking about trauma big t trauma little t trauma look at how trauma can take so many forms and it has such long lasting effect on our lives um and you know I just want to say so often what I hear as a psychoanalyst is, why do you want to talk about the past? The past is past. Can we just be in the present? Well, I am here to tell you, the past is not past. The past is not past. The past is haunting your present. So if someone was critical to you in your past, and now you are critical to yourself in the same way, that past is alive and well in the present. The key is to recognizing how the ghosts of the past are haunting our present, do some ghost busting, get rid of them, and then you can truly live in the present. Um, And, you know, while you're going through this process, it is so important to have a support system. It's incredibly important to connect with other people who understand you and who can relate to you. Um, And um, you know, if if you're listening to this and you are not yet a member of my Facebook group, Dr. Nina's Food for Thought Community, please join us. It is a community of people all over the world, women and men, um, who are there, supporting each other and learning to break free from the mental prison of binge eating by cultivating a different relationship with themselves, by being detectives of the mind and looking at, well, why am I doing this rather than what am I eating? Because by acknowledging and working through the past trauma that contributes to binge eating behavior in the present, you heal, you heal the past, you find healthier ways to cope with difficult emotions and situations. Breaking free from the prison of binge eating is challenging, it is sometimes painful, of course it is. Anything worth doing is challenging and sometimes painful. And it is possible. Remember, you learned this way of relating to yourself. No one came out of the womb thinking to themselves, I suck, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve happiness. I'm too much. No, nobody. We learn to think that way about ourselves. And we learn to think the way we think about the world. And we learn our behavior with food. We learn to use food as a way of coping. And because you learned this, that's good news. It means you can unlearn it and you can learn a new way you can learn a new way. Scientists call it brain plasticity. It means you can learn new stuff. Remember that healing, healing is a process. It takes time and it takes patience. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to keep going. Don't give up. Remember that change is not, um, it's just not a straight line journey. It's not, yes, I just keep going, get better and better and better and better and never have a slip up. That is not how change happens, no matter what you're trying to do, whether you're trying to learn tennis or play the piano or learn a new language or beat binge eating. It, it doesn't matter what the thing is that you're trying to learn differently. You will always have, you know, two steps forward, one step back or something along those lines. The falling down, just as when babies learn to walk, falling down doesn't matter. It's the walking that matters. Yeah, you'll fall down. But you know what? You're going to get back up and you're going to know more and learn more from each experience. And you're going to overcome your struggles. You're going to learn how to be kind to yourself. You're going to learn how to support yourself, how to encourage yourself instead of speaking meanly to yourself and discouraging yourself or just not even talking to yourself and going straight to food, you're gonna learn a new way. And with perseverance, with dedication, you can absolutely achieve a different way of being in the world. You can have the peace with food and the happiness with yourself that you deserve. Yes, deserve. That is how you liberate yourself from emotional eating, that is how you take back control of your life and that is how you start feeling good in your body. It really is possible. And just one more thing when you speak to yourself kindly, the tone of voice matters. Don't say things to yourself like I've got this, I can do this. I'll be fine. This isn't, you know, this isn't going to defeat me. Yeah, no. I've got this. I can do this. This isn't going to defeat me. Words are powerful, and so are the way that you speak them. Okay, so that is our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. It really is possible to ditch dieting, stop thinking about food 24-7, and banish binging so you can get back to living your life while being healthy. I am here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic and much more, be sure to get your copy of my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. And now the companion piece, The Binge Cure Journal. I'm so excited. I know you're going to love it. So get your copy now. Stay curious, not critical. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.